Efforts to develop safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines have yielded remarkable results. But if global vaccination continued at current rates, we wouldn't achieve herd immunity for more than four years. And vaccines are not being distributed at all yet in many of the poorest countries in the world. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. And I'm talking with Ingrid Katz, Associate Faculty Director at the Harvard Global Health Institute and Associate Professor at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Katz has co-authored a perspective article about promoting equitable distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. Dr. Katz, in your perspective article, you use the term vaccine nationalism to describe the current procurement system for COVID-19 vaccines. Could you explain what you mean by that term? Yes, absolutely. I think this is a term that is being widely used now to describe the inequitable distribution, procurement and distribution of vaccines globally. And essentially what is occurring is that nations that have a vast amount of resources have essentially ordered and procured or are in the midst of procuring large numbers of vaccines for their own population and leaving nations with lower resources essentially off the global table. So against that, to what extent has the United States been involved in efforts to vaccinate people in lower resourced countries? Has there been a strong effort and has the approach changed under the new Biden administration? So the United States is part of a global group of countries who are supporting scale up of vaccines through the World Health Organization and through other groups led by the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, or also known as CEPI, to accelerate the development and manufacture of COVID vaccines globally to guarantee fair and equitable access for every country. This is also better known as COVAX, which is a program that so far, as of this conversation, has delivered about 32 million doses of vaccine to 61 countries. And I will say that this is a continually evolving number. So even perhaps within a week when this comes out, we may be hearing different numbers. But at this time, 36 of the COVAX countries that are targeted, and these are countries that are considered low and middle income countries, have still not started inoculations or are continuing to wait for doses of this vaccine. And I will say that The current administration, the Biden administration, has been deeply engaged in this process, much more than the prior administration, in terms of supporting the World Health Organization and, of course, a global ramp up of vaccines. But I think the challenge during this time is the United States has such a desperate situation in our own country that so much of the focus and attention has been rightfully used to procure and distribute vaccines here in the United States. Can you say a bit more about how the COVAX program works? Yes. So again, COVAX is a program that is supported through the World Health Organization, CEPI, and then another organization called Gavi, which is a global alliance that essentially works to ensure vaccines get distributed to some of the lowest resource countries who are not able to afford to pay for large purchases of vaccines for their population. And so it's essentially a coalition of nations that support vaccine distribution globally. 
Unfortunately, COVAX has met with many barriers along the way. They've had substantial delays in getting vaccines to healthcare workers and other high-risk groups. And this has to do with many steps along the way, including delays in getting one manufacturer AstraZeneca doses from a large distributor in India known as the Serum Institute of India. So unfortunately, there have been a lot of bottlenecks along the way, and this has to do with every step of the chain of vaccine distribution and procurement. And so we know the challenge, again, has been we've had tremendous success with the development of vaccines in so many ways. The development of safe and effective vaccines has been one of the most remarkable achievements of our time. And a lot of that has to do with long-term investments that have been made in scientific discovery. What we have not seen are long-term investments in global public health. And this is the downstream effect that we could get these tremendous vaccines developed so quickly and yet be completely unable to distribute them to the countries that need them the most. So in that regard, to support that equitable distribution of vaccines, you write in your article that the United States could build on the success of the PEPFAR program. So what would that kind of strategy look like? So PEPFAR is the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. It was actually started under George W. Bush, and it's really an example of global partnership. It's one that was made with a very large investment and is still continuing to this day to support treatment initiation, procurement across multiple regions in the world for people living with HIV. So before PEPFAR started, there were many places in the world where there were a significant number of people living with HIV who were not able to avail themselves of the life-saving treatment that is antiretroviral therapy. And PEPFAR was a way to answer that. It was a challenge essentially that the United States picked up and invested billions of dollars and still to this day continues to invest heavily. And it really became a game changer for the global HIV pandemic because it ensured that there was sufficient delivery of antiretroviral therapy to nations where it was needed the most. And it required obviously an enormous investment, but also partnerships. And I think this is where we really need to be thinking, not just for COVID, which obviously is consuming us all globally, but for future pandemics. How can we think much more cohesively and coherently about a global public health strategy where we get significant investments and we ensure that there is long-term collaboration and that there's support of individuals who are living within these countries who are looking to accelerate the translation of this work to their communities and ensure that there's adequate support for global health governance in this process. Several countries have also discussed the possibility of what's called a trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights waiver for COVID-19 vaccines. What are the arguments for and against waiving, perhaps temporarily, patent protection? Then how likely do you think it is to happen? Right. So this is also known as the TRIPS waiver, and it really does speak to the 
concept of intellectual property protections. And these are things that are put in place to ensure that drug companies that invest significantly, both their time and their resources, to develop these life-saving vaccines will get a certain return on their investment. And in the case of the current pandemic, there has been a proposal that was actually put forward initially by South Africa and India to essentially waive these property protections on COVID-19 vaccines and treatment, or also known as a TRIPS waiver. And this is actually currently being supported by 90 countries. And what's interesting is this is definitely a contentious issue. There is opposition or has previously, certainly in the prior administration, and I think the current administration is weighing this both in the U.S. and in the EU and other high-income countries to this proposal, this TRIPS waiver. It was recently discussed at a meeting of the World Trade Organization, and talks are continuing in this. And certainly the Biden administration is considering the role of this waiver, which would then essentially, if you were to take off this patent protection, it would allow local manufacturers to create this vaccine and ensure that there was a more equitable and worldwide distribution. But again, the complication here is that the drug companies have invested significantly to ensure that these vaccines get made and essentially have a patent in place. And the question is, in cases like this, where it's clearly a global emergency, should that protection be waived? And there are a significant number of countries and people within this country who feel very strongly that it should be to ensure that there is a much more efficient ramp up and allow countries that have the capability to manufacture and distribute these vaccines locally. Finally, you write in your article that vaccinating the world is not only a moral obligation to protect our neighbors, it also serves our self-interest by protecting our security, health, and economy. Can you explain how high-income countries would benefit by promoting equitable access to these vaccines? Absolutely. I think this is something that my co-authors and I feel incredibly strongly about. And I think it's so clear that we live in a globally connected world. And while travel has slowed during this time, it has not ceased, nor will it cease. This pandemic started in China and it spread globally so quickly that we were all in some ways caught a bit flat-footed. And I think now more than ever, we need to be mindful of how interconnected we are. This is one of the most critical moments. And in many ways, my co-authors and I feel like this is really a call to arms to consider our place in the world as a country that supports global public health, that supports global investments in safe and equitable distributions of vaccines for citizens living globally. And to know that countries that are low resource as well as high resource, we're all in this together. Viruses do not stop at borders. And we see that even within our own country, these state-by-state -state responses have been disastrous for a national public health response. And we need to be thinking about the globe in the same way, that we can't be excluding our neighbors who may not have the resources to make large purchases of vaccines for their nations, that we have to be prepared as a nation that has ample resources 
to be considering this. And I think like PEPFAR, it will engender goodwill. There is a self gain here. Not only is it good for our own self, our safety and our own communities here, but it also will engender goodwill globally. This is a critical investment and one I think couldn't be more timely. Thank you, Dr. Katz.